This is the Master Brewers Podcast, brought to you by the Master Brewers Association of the Americas, a volunteer organization dedicated to continually improving the products and processes of our membership since 1887. Master Brewers brings you interviews with the industry's best and brightest in brewing science, technology, and operations. This episode was made possible by the following sponsors. Dare to Brew Different with new and exciting hop varieties from Hopsteiner's industry-leading breeding program. Varieties like Sultana, Lotus, Bravo, Altus, and Contessa are now available in lupulin pellet form, packing more flavor and aroma per pellet. Discover more at hopsteiner.com. Additional support provided by... Every beer has a story, and that's why, for over 95 years, Gusmer Enterprises has offered a full line of solutions, including equipment, analytical instrumentation, and processing aids, all brought to you from leading suppliers and backed by strong technical support. For the solution to your story, go to gusmerbeer.com. And thanks also to Brew Ninja, a brewery software solution that streamlines your day-to-day operations, including inventory, accounting, sales, and compliance, so that you can focus on making great beer. Listeners of this podcast will receive a unique offer by going to GetBrewNinja.com and using the code BrewNinja21. I was extremely surprised at how beautiful the yeast is coming out of the top of the tank. It really is very dense, very viable, and it was just going down the drain. It's very versatile. It saves a bunch of money anytime you can repitch yeast. We've already discussed the adversarial relationship between yeast and hops. This week on the show, an innovative method enabling the practical brewer to have the best of both worlds. Hi, my name is Jessica Young, and I currently work at Bearded Iris Brewing Company in Nashville, Tennessee. Jess, you wanted to solve a problem that a lot of other brewers have. Tell us what was going on. Sure. Um, Well, uh, with New England IPAs, it's typically um, pretty tough to find a way to do a mid-fermentation dry hopping and still be able to harvest your yeast. And so my boss told me one day that I needed to figure it out. And (laughs) I I decided that um, although it seemed impossible, I would give it a shot. And uh, essentially, yeah, I figured out a way with at least this strain of yeast, um, how to repitch mid-fermentation and still dry hop mid-fermentation. Okay, cool. So what were you doing in the meantime, you know, before you kind of figured out this solution? Had you, um, were you just using fresh pitches all the time or had you tried any other workarounds first? Um, yeah, we, you, on our house strain, we still use fresh pitches every time. Um, and then... Uh, for that strain, we were it was it's more expensive, but we were also using fresh pitches every time. Um, I did some like checking to see how the yeast is in the bottom of uh, the fermentation vessels after a New England IPA has been through it, and it was not usable. <laughs> so not yeah, it's not pretty. Um, so yeah. Okay. Well, then came the idea. Tell us what happened. Sure. Um, We've used this strain several times and we noticed that there's a white liquid coming out out of uh, the blow-off bucket. And 
I decided to just like grab a, sa- a sample out of uh, what was leaking out of the um, blow off arm uh, and take a peek at it under the microscope. And I was really surprised to see just the most beautiful, healthy yeast and um, decided that that was um, going to be usable, hopefully, if I could find enough density and enough viability. Uh, so it kind of stemmed from seeing it pour out of the top and realizing that we should probably be utilizing that. Cool. Talk about your first attempt and what went wrong. <laughs> um, our first attempt was uh, hook. I wanted to be a good seller human and, you know, create a closed system with no introduction of microbes. But um, the yeast did not want to go through the keg coupler, keg stem connection. So I initially had the keg coupler hooked directly into the blow off arm, directly into the keg. And I was so happy and I was going to shoot it directly into the keg and it was all going to be perfect. But the yeast did not want to go down in through the stem. So I eventually, there was a lot of pressure to harvest the yeast, as there usually is, and uh, so I had to ultimately use the blow-off arm and the um, PVC or the polyvinyl uh, tubing and go directly under the lid of the keg. And um, everything was telling me not to do that, but uh, we really needed the yeast, and so it was flowing out at a very slow rate. Um, It would probably take hours and hours to actually fill the keg if I didn't figure out a way to get it moving quicker than that. Um, And so I decided to hook up CO2 to the racking arm uh, at about 10 PSI and just start giving it tiny bursts and realized that that was definitely the way. Um, And so I just slowly kept filling uh, using CO2. Cool. All right. So let's, let's hear about, let's hear about that next iteration and sort of like, I guess, go through your recommended process as it stands to date. I don't know how many different iterations you had sort of between that moment and kind of dialing it into what you have in your article, but um, why don't you walk us through what's, what you consider sort of best practice at this point? Sure. Um, I would say the first thing is definitely to make sure that you have um, healthy yeast to begin with. Start with a good fresh pitch. Uh, make sure you're oxygenating really well. Um, the omega yeast that we use is pretty oxygen dependent. So um, definitely make sure you start with a really good, healthy, uh, viable yeast. Um, and then secondly, make sure that you have very good fill volumes in your fermenters. Um, we've run into a couple issues and it's not mentioned in the article. Um, but if you have a low fill volume, it's going to be pretty difficult to have the Krausen high enough to actually get it to come out of the top of the tank. Um, Do you have so, to actually overfill it a little bit or not, not so much? I mean, is it not, uh, not so much. I, when we've had issues, it's been like low efficiency from double and triple IPAs. So they were sitting close, closer to like 24 barrels rather than uh, maybe 28, 20. I think that we've harvested off of about 26 to 28 is usually our fill volume. Um, That's in a 30-barrel tank, I assume? Yes. And then in a 60-barrel tank, it's usually somewhere around 56, 58, still lower than the like maximum of the tank. But you'll find a lot of difficulty if you're not at a good fill volume. Um, so just like a, a good note there. Um, and the 
other important thing is that if any moment you realize you don't have an open system, you're doing it incorrectly and it's dangerous then. Uh, so process overview, um, you're just, you're going to connect CO2 to your racking arm, um, put a freshly, everything should be freshly sanitized, uh, the blow-off hose um, connected to the racking arm or the blow-off arm. Uh, put the opposite end of the blow-off hose into the modified Sabco CAG under the main 4-inch cap, um, and then you're going to slowly push CO2 into the racking arm. Um, I usually start around 10 PSI and move up slowly if I need to, um, 5 to 10 second bursts, and uh, until you get initial flow. And you may need to go higher than that. Um, and then you can back off on the CO2 pressure a little bit. And then you essentially fill to about three quarters um, the way up the keg because it's going to want to expand and then contract and you'll have yeast all over the place. So talk about the um, talk about the sort of the the specs for, you know, where the, the beer needs to be like, you know, in its fermentation cycle. So I, I believe in, in your article, you mentioned that it should be 45% um, apparent attenuation. Uh, how critical is that? I mean, if you're off, is that plus or minus 10%, 5%, 2% has to be right at 45. What's your experience? Sure. Um, that was mostly a result of our, um, our initial process, I guess. Uh, we dry hop in that range. Um, it can be plus or minus five-ish percent. Um, we So it stemmed from our not wanting to change our dry hopping method um, right. and wanting, wanting to continue dry hopping there. I haven't pushed it m- either direction much just because that yeast attenuates to about uh, 75%. And, um, I want to get the hops in there to get the enzymes in there to get dry hop creep cranking. Um, so it can be probably a little bit less, a little bit more. I'm a little scared of going earlier in fermentation just because you're pulling such a, um, you're pulling active healthy yeast out of the initial beer. And so I haven't pushed it earlier just because I want to make sure I don't mess up the currently fermenting beer. Makes sense. Um, so your your strategy is basically do it immediately before your dry hop and, and do it consistently so that the dry hops always happen at the same time, which in turn means you've got a pretty reliably consistent um, you know, state that the yeast is in when you're when you're harvesting it, right? Exactly. Yes. Yeah. No, that that sounds great. Um okay. Uh what about purging that keg that you're harvesting into? Um is that is that necessary? Do you do that ever? Um I don't really uh, purge the keg other than just making sure it's clean to clean of all the sandy that's in there. But um, it's the, so we, we started putting wort in the bottom of the keg. We brew our, we don't brew any blondes or anything. So we essentially have our basic IPA home style that we just brew constantly. And we, um, so I put about three or four inches of wort in there. Um, just to, because we realized the yeast was dying incredibly fast. <laughs> Let's get into that later. Cause I okay. want to definitely like get into that in detail. Um, but, sure. um, the reason I ask is just cause, and, and we, um, for example, it, it won't have re- released yet, but it just recorded a, another episode with Bill Mack and, and, and we were talking about sort of the, um, the necessity to, you know, to, to keep harvested 
yeast away from oxygen, right? That's when it um, really starts to uh, really starts to use up a lot of its glycogen reserves and everything. And I don't know, um, I'm kind of curious, like how much of a factor that is since this is kind of a different situation where the yeast is so active. Um, sure. But I wonder if it wouldn't be advantageous to, I mean, you've already got that blow off tube going down in the keg anyway. I wonder if it wouldn't be advantageous to just go ahead and like, you know, let that bleed off into the keg for a little bit and maybe do like a, you know, a candle test or something on the, uh, at the top of the keg and just get it to the point where, you know, you can't burn the flame just to make sure, you know, you've got that environment, uh, free of oxygen before you start running yeast in there. Um, yeah, so. I, I feel like I have read so as is in brewing, I've read so much contradictory information right. about yeah. where, how to harvest your yeast, where to put it, what environment. And um, I think that because I ended up having to put the blow off tube directly under the cap, there's going to be such a large ingress of oxygen anyway, that um, I, I essentially just wouldn't fight it, I guess, at that point. Um, because it's, it, if you, if you see the picture, it's just incredibly open. Um, sure. But um, I haven't seen any like negative effects on uh, the fermentations after harvest um, or the ones that it's pitched into. Um, the yeast has looked, obviously I'm not running tests on like glycogen reserves, but um, I mean, the yeast looks happy and healthy and it's doing its job. So I don't, know that um it's incredibly important we also use our yeast pretty quickly um and i think it's just at such a weird spot in its life cycle that it's it's nothing it's not exactly like cold harvesting it's just this active harvest where the yeast is just cranking through um all its simple sugars and go into town and so it's so early that it's it's it reacts a little pretty differently than like cold harvested dormant yeast, in my opinion. Coming up. I was extremely surprised at how beautiful the yeast is coming out of the top of the tank. It really is very dense, very viable, and it was just going down the drain. I'm John Bryce, and you're listening to the Master Brewers Podcast from the Master Brewers Association of the Americas. There's really only one thing that keeps this podcast going, and that's when listeners like you take the time to thank our sponsors. The next time you talk to a rep from one of these companies, be sure to thank them for their generous support. Get to know Proximity Malt. We malt superior, European-style, low-protein varieties grown close to home in Delaware and Colorado. Domestically grown, precisely malted to style. With our team of seasoned experts and two brand new malt houses, try what's really new in malt. Check us out at www.proximitymalt.com. Brew Monitor from Precision Fermentation works with your existing fermentation tanks to track dissolved oxygen, pH, gravity, pressure, temperature, and conductivity in real time from any smartphone, tablet, or PC. Get started for 30 days risk-free 
visit precisionfermentation.com slash MBAA. This episode is also sponsored by More Beer. Visit morebeerpro.com to browse ingredients, equipment, and more. Even the best yeast deserves a helping hand with seltzer fermentation, which is why Pathfinder N-Pure Seltzer Nutrient ensures reliable and complete fermentation of a seltzer base while providing a clean, neutral fermentation profile. Not to mention it provides all the essential nutrients required by yeast for production of hard seltzer bases fermented from those sweet refined sugars. Give your seltzer yeast a boost by visiting bsgcraftbrewing.com and searching for Pathfinder N-Pure Seltzer Nutrient or call BSG at 1-800-374-2739. There's one more sponsor I should mention and that's Muntins, offering a wide range of malted ingredients sourced within a 50 mile radius of their maltings. Listen to Nigel Davis discuss sustainability at Muntins on episode 206. And here's what's coming up on the Master Brewers calendar. Thanks to Rob Schwartz, who wrote in to let us know that District Rocky Mountain is offering a scholarship to the Master Brewers Brewing and Malting Science course. The deadline to apply is September 1st. Check the show notes for a direct link. District Midwest meets at the Yellow Springs Brewery Barrel Room September 18th. District St. Louis hits the links September 23rd. District Georgia meets at Southern Brewing in Athens September 24th. The District Ontario 2021 Iron Brewer Competition is September 24th. District Carolinas meets in Greenville October 1st and 2nd. District Northwest will hold its annual meeting in Hood River October 22nd and 23rd. There's one big meeting that's on my calendar. I hope it's on yours. The 2021 Master Brewers Conference will be October 28th through the 30th in Cleveland. Registration is open now. And don't forget the world-famous Master Brewers Brewing and Malting Science course begins October 31st. Check out the full calendar of events at mbaa.com for more details or to find a district meeting near you. back to the show. Some fermenters have uh, separate blow-off arms, whereas others just use the CIP arm. What's your situation? Yeah, we have both uh, blow-off and CIP arm, so we um, definitely go directly out of the blow-off arm. Because this could be potentially pretty tricky if you're trying to do this through a, through a spray bowl. <laughs> yeah, I would probably recommend removing your spray ball. It would get very clogged. But yeah. our spray ball does get clogged just from the um, active uh, krausen at the top, honestly, anyway, sometimes from this yeast. So, yeah. Yeah, I was just thinking if um, some tanks that don't have, you know, lots of options, lots of ports on the top, um, if, if you have to go through the, the CIP arm, because um, that's all you've got, um, like you said, it might might work if you could find a way to remove the spray ball first, if you can do that in a sanitary way without, you know, too much difficulty. Um, I guess, you know, potentially if you've got other ports on the top, um, dry hot port or any other, you know, tri-clamp fittings, you know, it's, there's potential to adapt to something else up there as well. So, yeah, um, I mean, that's where the idea initially came from is looking down into the dry hot port and seeing 
it it lo- it looks very different than our house yeast uh, Krausen. Extremely bubbly and beautiful liquid on top, and you're just like, if only I could just scoop that up and <laughs> use it. Yeah, yeah. No, and we talked about that on another episode too recently. I mean, it, yeah, it's it's kind of like you know, never have you wanted to go back in time and get these, you know, get more open top fermenters uh, to to use for harvesting. So, um, did you have you considered that? Have you considered? I know it's you know it's a capital expense or whatever, but um, had had you put any thought into, hey, maybe let's just get an open top fermenter to use for as the as the donor tank here well i'm always a person that tries to just use whatever i have available and so my initial thought was actually like finding some kind of tool or mechanism to scoop yeast (laughs) (laughs) which is ridiculous through like a four inch port Uh, but that was my it's not ridiculous i mean (laughs) that takes me back to i remember going to a a brewery years ago and um they had a bunch of dairy tanks and they were you know they would move they're brewing a lot of lager and they would move the move it out of the dairy out of the dairy tank it fermented in and they they'd lower pails you know on some type of string down into the bottom and scoop the yeast off of the bottom so i mean stranger things have happened so um jess do we need a um do we need a sight glass in line uh in you know on that blow off arm at the end of it so you can see any transition from yeast to beer or are you just leaving so much yeast behind in the tank that it just doesn't matter we have not used a sight glass you can Usually the tubing we use is pretty clear, so I can see that it's um, definitely yeast and not beer. Um, I've never gotten to the point that it's been straight beer, but it's definitely been more liquid. Um, But I typically only harvest about two kegs, not even, out of the uh, 30-barrel tank, and then just pick the one that has the best uh, viability and density. Um, So I don't think so. I think that you can pretty much tell. All right. So you've harvested your yeast. I'm not sure if this was expected or a surprise, but you ran into a viability issue. Talk about that. Sure. Um, We had initially been pitching uh, the day that we harvested um, and the brewers would just wait for my call and I'd say, okay, brew the beer. Um, But of course, we ran into some kind of shipping disaster, as everyone does. And the hops for the beer or something didn't show up. And so they had to wait a couple days until they could brew. And so I decided to just keep checking on the yeast. And of course, the yeast deteriorated very quickly. Um, If you imagine going from happy uh, sugars abound and then moving into a cold, empty stainless steel keg, you start dying off very quickly. So we went from about 92% viability and the next day dropped down to uh, 52%. Um, so that was a huge drop and it was, uh, unusable at that point. Uh, I didn't feel comfortable putting 50% viable yeast into the tank. Okay. So talk, talk to us about your solution to that, that issue. Um, yeah. So I, um, decided that we should put it somewhat in an environment that it's used to. Um, and so we essentially, uh, grabbed our, lowest ABV, most often brewed um, IPA homestyle. And we threw about two or three inches in the bottom of the keg and tested that. And we saw that we could hold it um, at least for two or three days um, and also kind of bring back up viability. 
um, if you added wort a couple of days later as well, um, obviously the wort's going to make the yeast very happy and keep it healthy. Um, so I definitely recommend adding a couple inches of wort on there if you're going to store it and not use it the day that you harvest. Okay. You did some microanalysis to ensure there wasn't any contamination associated with this new harvesting method. Describe what you did. Sure. Um, well, I, as I said, I tried to initially go through the keg coupler, keep a closed loop. Nothing's open. Everything's sanitized, but the yeast did not want to go through the coupler stem. Uh, connection. And so with the blow-off tube going directly into the top of the lid, I felt pretty uncomfortable and decided to pull out my old micro coat. And uh, I did HLP, WLN, and LCSM media um, to make sure that there were no bacteria, there were no wild yeast, and that there was active brewer's yeast. Um, and they all came back um, positive and negative in the way that they should <laughs> okay cool um and you did that on uh, you did that on um you know uh quite a few you didn't just do that a couple of times right you did that on uh, a, a decent sample of of your first attempts at this new procedure right um yeah i did it i think six or seven times just yeah. to make sure and double check everything yeah cool I'm also curious, how are you cleaning the kegs that you're using to harvest and store yeast? Are they going on a machine and getting the same cycle as regular kegs, or are you doing anything different for yeast storage kegs? Sure. I um, Once I finish harvest, I give them a really uh, thorough hot rinse and make sure there's no visible sediment. And then we throw it on the keg cleaner, and then I pull them off and fill them with sani. Um, and then I'll re-sanitize them again, uh, the day before I actually need the kegs. So it's a little bit more intensive, but not wildly prohibitive. And I think I saw you, you're actually doing ATP swabs to like, make sure you're good, right? Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Awesome. Your article also presents data for something like 20 batches, including cell counts, viability, fermentation, and attenuation rates and beer styles. I'll encourage listeners to look at that data in the article themselves, but do you want to give us any takeaways? Um, sure. So I intentionally made it a little bit dense on some of those graphs to that included data prior to this method existing. Um, and the purpose for that was to just show that with this method or without it, the yeast is performing pretty much exactly the same. And it can also perform how it needs to for a variety of styles, whether it's single, double, triple IPAs, or um, even fruited double IPAs. So it it's very versatile. Um, and I think that you can use it on pretty much any style that is in the, that would use this yeast normally. Um, so it was just performing exactly how it should essentially. And that was um, obviously a good thing to see. Yeah, that's cool. I was also surprised um, in your, the data for the cell counts and stuff. Um, I mean, you're getting some pretty thick slurry off of the top there. I, I would, would have guessed there would have been more mixing as you're blowing the CO2 into the tank that, you know, some of that slurry would get mixed in with some beer and that you'd have, um, you know, lower densities. But, but it looked like, I mean, you were regularly getting, you know, four-ish 
billion cells per mil uh, in that that's that harvested slurry. Yeah, the I was extremely surprised at how beautiful the yeast is coming out of the top of the tank. It really is very dense, very viable, and it was just going down the drain. And so it it was definitely worth um, it shooting out the top uh, and trying to harvest it. Um, so it, I think it's because that specific yeast is just very thick and almost just creamier than like our house yeast, for instance. Um, and so when you sh- shoot through, hopefully you're not breaking a hole in the Krausen and then shooting beer out, but it's just like bubbling it up even more to shoot more yeast out of the top. Yeah. Have you had any issues with clearing with clearing VDK? Uh, presumably, you've just removed a whole lot of cells that would have gone on to clean up alpha acetolactate at the end of fermentation. We have not had any issues with um, VDK. Uh, we do the organoleptic, and then we test with um, the VDK strips that came out from Byers Chemical, I believe. Um, so we kind of do twofold and uh, just double check, but we typically clear VDK before we're ready for uh, terminal gravity crashing um, uh, standards. So we, we haven't seen any issues with VDK. Um, it's, it's, it was an initial very big concern with not only the fermentation uh, curve being normal um, to our standards, but also VDK clearance, but we haven't seen any issues. I think that if you pulled too much, if you pulled more than two kegs out of a 30, you would probably be running into issues. But I think that there's still enough healthy yeast and it's early enough in fermentation that you should be uh, pretty safe. You gave some numbers in your TQ paper to demonstrate the number of repitches and your cost savings. Talk about that and give us updated numbers if you've got them. Yeah, we... I had been doing it for over a year, uh, repitched it successfully on um, 25 batches, uh, not generations, but batches. Uh, we saved about $23,000 in those 14 months just on this yeast. Um, we've done 60 into 60th, 60s into multiple 30s, 30s into 30s uh, fermenters. Um, so it's very versatile. It saves a bunch of money anytime you can repitch yeast, um, especially this one that's a little pricey. Um, so yeah, I think that that was probably my boss's initial uh, thought was savings, but um, it was a really fun problem to solve in general. And that was kind of the after uh, thoughts at the end. Yeah, that's awesome. Okay, Jess, you wrote that you hope to duplicate this method with additional yeast strains. Any news on that front? Um, the only one I've checked into is the Imperial Juice uh, guy. Um, I've kind of, kind of looked into it. We haven't actually repitched, but I don't see any problem repitching it just based on what I saw. Um, it came out of the top of the tank without any um, coercion, and it looked beautiful and healthy, um, just like the Omega strain. So... I think that Imperial Juice would probably be the next one if people are using that to try and um, repitch, but I have not done it myself yet. Fair enough. Anybody wants more details on the strains and everything, uh, check out the, the article because there's, so, there's a lot of 
information in there. It's pretty cool. And I even saw, I was uh, glad to see, I, I noticed she even linked to um, uh, the tech tip that I wrote so many years ago uh, with the help of my friend Jasper um, on on uh, yeast counting and whatnot. So it was, it was cool to see that in there. I'm glad. I didn't know anybody actually read that. So it's cool. I like to do deep dives in the old TQ articles and all the old right. stuff. <laughs> <laughs> that was Jessica Young here on the Master Brewers podcast. You should absolutely check out her recent article in the Master Brewers Technical Quarterly, which you can, of course, find a link to in the show notes. Are you enjoying the Master Brewers podcast? Let me tell you about a simple way you can help us keep making more. Take a minute to thank our sponsors. There's no way we could produce this show without generous support from sponsors like Hopsteiner, Brew Ninja, Proximity Malt, BSG, Gussamer, and Precision Fermentation. So please, let them know you heard their message on the Master Brewers podcast and that you appreciate their support. Master Brewers offers a wide range of resources for breweries of all sizes and stages. Stay current on the latest scientific advancements, technical information, and industry trends by joining Master Brewers. Join today and use offer code BEER2021 to save 20% on dues now through December 31st, 2021. Master Brewers, united we brew. Master Brewers, united we brew.